May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. One of the great prayers and hearts of our diocese is that more and more we would look like the church in Revelation chapter 5, where every tribe, tongue, and nation is gathered around the throne of God in order to sing the praises of Jesus for eternity. So we have uh, been doing several things, uh, immigrant church uh, planting and raising up leaders for immigrant churches and an Antioch initiative where we're seeking to uh, ask God to raise up and enable us to invite and recruit uh, non-white leaders in our church. I say all that because last week I was uh, ordained our first uh, deacon from the immigrant uh, world that we're ministering to. We have some priests who we transferred in, but we ordained a deacon. And I want to say that culturally, it's just incredible to see uh, how different it is to uh, ordain somebody in a context of a Kenyan congregation. So I'm just going to say, we need to up our game, okay? <laughs> All right. I mean, I'm preaching, and I mean, we're ordaining, and it was like paparazzi. I mean, there were people everywhere crowded around. They had cameras on their, you know, whatever, extensions and down there. And it was like a couple of times in the service, they started, they stood up and started singing in Swahili and clapping and all this kind of stuff. And uh, everybody, come on, come on, man, come on, let's go, you know what I mean? <laughs> Preacher, brother. <laughs> I just been looking forward to the time where we're all learning from each other. You know what I mean? And we're just rubbing shoulders with our brothers and sisters from around the world, and we're having all sorts of fun around the throne. So praise God for that. And praise God for today. Andrew and Daria and Chris, it's great to be with you guys and be with your family. We miss Julia, and, uh, and I know that she would love to be here as well. Um, this is a red-letter day. A red-letter day not only for you, Andrew, but for the work of Christ in East Rockingham County and the people that this wonderful church loves and serves. It's a red-letter day for our diocese, too, because every time we ordain somebody uh, to the diaconate, I love to emphasize the importance of raising up strong, vibrant, spirit-filled deacons to extend the work of Christ. There's a particular calling to this office which I'm going to be talking about today, which is precious. It's a gift. It's a gift to this church. It's a gift to our diocese. It's a gift to the work of Christ. And I am grateful to ordain you and to anticipate your growing and expanded ministry here and your ministry and impact on us and the broader family of our diocese. And I know you and I spent a couple hours together and you have a deep sense of the opportunity and the importance of this calling. And I'm going to remind you of it today, and I'm going to invite all of you to understand the value of the gift. Uh, I, again, was here in July with Travis, and I'm just so grateful to see the propulsion of ministry and gospel <laughs> ministry that I believe is expanding through Travis. And uh, you guys, God's at work here. God's on the move. God's on the move at Church of the Lamb. And God's on the move in East Rockingham, and it's pretty exciting to see Obviously, this service and my message are focused on Andrew, but nevertheless, I, I want everybody to tune in because my message to Andrew is aimed at all of us, and it will apply to everyone for this simple reason. And this is sort of the nexus of my thesis. Uh, the diaconal calling and ministry defines and exemplifies the life and ministry all of us are supposed to live and have. 
So it is an, it's an embodiment of what all of us are called to be and do as Christians. And so, Andrew, you're being called to set an example for us on how to live. We should all be able to look to you and be reminded of the basics of our Christian life. And it breaks down in particular ways. How you are to be our example. You're to be our example in terms of servanthood. The very word deacon is a transliteration of a Greek word, diakonos. You can see how they sound alike, diakonos, deacon. And diakonos is transliterated deacon, and it's translated servant. It's translated minister. And so you have a life dedicated to the well-being and the strengthening of others in the service of Christ. You serve Jesus, and therefore you serve people. Okay? And guys, that's what I should say to all of us, right? You serve Christ, and you serve people. So whatever I call you to do, Andrew, is a call to all Christians to be servants of God to one another in the community. And you're going to show us how to do that, I hope, and pray. And show it how, how to do it uh, more clearly. Not just serve so that we can take it easy, okay? You're not just doing our work for us, right? You're serving so we know how to act. And then, as I discussed yesterday with you, the service of a deacon is focused on three other broad exemplary areas. So overall servanthood, but particularly servanthood in discipleship, teaching and catechizing, in worship, in the centrality of worship as core to our life and the sacramental life of the community, and mission, particularly to the infirm, the imprisoned, the poor, the needy, the vulnerable. And I'm going to exhort you later on in the service in those particular areas, but I also want to emphasize those aspects in my message. So again, just the outline here. The reason this is important is because Andrew is going to be an example for all of us in four areas. Servanthood, discipleship, worship, and mission. And so if you want an understanding and an outline for yourself, think of those four terms as well. I'm going to build my wretched message around Philip, one of the first cohort of deacons from that passage in Acts 6. Uh, it's easy to remember, you know, that the apostles found themselves in a crutch point because there were vulnerable people, widows, by the way, who are a major concern of God throughout the entire Bible, by the way. Widows, orphans, strangers, it's all over the Bible. But because the widows were being neglected, the apostles instructed the congregation to raise up people whose job was simply to make sure that the widows were be, being taken care of, and Philip was one of those. And in fact, if you trace through the New Testament, we know more about Ann, uh, Philip excuse me, than any other deacon in the New Testament. There's more information about him. And so I want to make four observations about Philip for you to keep in mind. First and foremost, Philip was called to be a deacon not because of his gifting, which was great, and I'll talk about that a little bit later. He was an evangelist and a public preacher and he was an apostolic leader and he opened the door of evangelism for the Samaritans and he opened the door of evangelism for Ethiopia. Uh, the guy was a great guy. He performed signs and wonders in support of what he did. He was a very, very gifted guy. That's not why he was chosen to be a deacon. He was chosen to be a deacon because of his fundamental spiritual life. So first and foremost, your calling to be a deacon comes out of your true Christian spirituality, not your gifting. And 
he understood, Philip understood deeply that it, what it meant to abide in Christ, to pattern his life after the Lord himself. 1 Peter chapter 1, God tells all of us, like children of the Father, be holy in all your ways. You be holy because your Father is holy. Pick up the family character and the family character is holiness. Pick up the family character. The character of God is holiness. Therefore, the character of his family is to be holiness. And Philip was that kind of a guy. He was chosen because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was full of wisdom. He loved the Lord. He was godly. He prayed. He was dependent. He studied the scriptures. He was determined to bow the knee to the Lord in his life. And I want to encourage you to realize that the core of your ministry is the core of your identity. And you can go all through the scriptures and see that. But you know, uh, there's a lot of sayings that we remember, right? Who you are is more important than what you do. I mean, more important than what you, uh, more important than what you say. What you do speaks so loudly that I can't hear anything you say. I mean, you, you know, we say those kind of things. That's where, by the way, the uh, people last week said, come on. <laughs> come on, okay? Because we got to remember that, okay? Come on. Andrew, I'm not the least unclear, uh, concerned that you're unclear about that. But I do want to exhort you to be a vessel fit for the master's use. I love the image out of 2 Timothy that there are vessels in God's household, and some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Strive to be a man who is a vessel for honorable use, which really focuses on the issue of maturity, Refused 
to carry. I mean, Sally made this big lunch and some meal for him to take on a trip for him, and it was in a uh, paper bag, and, and it was sitting there on, on the table, and he was getting ready to go out to the car, and he turned to her and he said, carry the bag for me. And, he, and she goes, well, well, here, it's yours, you can carry it. And he goes, no, that's woman's work. I'm, I'm not going to do that. <sighs> Amazing. <laughs> right. And uh, after she threw it at him, uh, <laughs> she didn't. She actually, I guess she carried Did you carry it out? I should have said, well, it's just right here. It's just right here. <laughs> Nevertheless, uh, here's my point where I'm going with that. Because years later, this bishop was exposed uh, to be a thief who had been embezzling money through his diocese. And you know, it just it's a character outs, right? Character outs. And character outs, I think, initially in our refusal to serve the practical needs of people that we run into, whoever we are, whatever our position may be. Philip was one of the greatest leaders in the New Testament, but apparently he did not shy away from waiting on tables from vulnerable women. And he followed the example of Jesus, who, although he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Luke chapter 22, which I've written in the frontispiece of the Bible that I'm going to give you. Luke chapter 22, verse 27, Jesus says, I am among you as one who serves. And exhort you to be a humble servant, willing to do the things that meet the needs of others. And exemplify Jesus himself. Third, the deacon's call is to the ministry of discipleship. I've already said that. I want to expand it a little bit. You're going to hear in your exhortation that your calling as a deacon is for the strengthening of the church. For the church's well-being and strengthening in terms of its soul, its spiritual life, its understanding. And you're going to be told, Andrew, that you're to catechize and disciple people. Now, in Philip's case, we've already noted that he had outstanding gifts of preaching and evangelism and probably apologetics and apostolic expansion of the church. So this guy was an out-there guy. He blew the circuits open for the gospel to go in new places, but he must have been a pretty decent dad and disciple-maker. Why? He had four daughters who what? Were all prophets. They were all preachers in the church. They had to pick it up somewhere, right? They were all prophetic ministers. So he must have been a teacher who trained and raised up the next generation, which is not a matter, by the way, of spiritual gifts. I want to say something. I want to say that again, because I think we automatically think, and of course there are certain spiritual gifts that lend themselves to disciple-making, but let me just say that being a disciple-maker is a call to all people who are Christians. All of us. Matthew 28, Jesus speaking to disciples. Go to all the world to make disciples. Speaking to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2, a four-generation understanding of what it means to be a pastor is to be a disciple-maker of people who will make disciples of other people and make disciples. You just, it's four generations in one verse. So there's always a view to the future church. There's always a calling to the future church. It's a fundamental function of your ministry. And by the way, it's a fundamental function of family life. Deuteronomy chapter 6, Psalm 34. You can look in the Old Testament full of times when parents are 
teach and train your children. And it expands in the New Testament beyond the immediate family to the oikos of God, where the entire church of God is to train up and raise up generations. And so, guys, we all share it, whether or not we're the parents of the kids or we're even married. We all participate in the process. So great to meet Nick today, who is coming alongside this church in order to help disciple the next generation of people. Praise God for that. Deep investment. So let's understand the fact that we are all called up to raise disciples. It is a corporate task, it's a personal task, it's a family task. And you have been given specific areas of gifting and, uh, and work to do, like Philip will do. And you're going to be, you're going to have particular gifts. You're going to express the beauty of God's handiwork through the particular gifts. You have cross-cultural capacities. You have experiences. You're a great teacher. But in all you do, you'll be told that your official calling, regardless of your gifting, is discipling and training the flock for the future. Always having in view the next generation. So a deacon, understand, you're called because of your spiritual life, you're called to be a servant, you're called to be a disciple maker, and then the fourth comment I'll make from Philip's life is the deacon's call is to stand with a foot in the church and a foot in the world. And therefore, to remind all of us who we are and how we are to stand. We only have certain details about the doctrinal service of two men in the Bible, Stephen and Philip. But we know that they serve humbly at the table. But as soon as the table service was finished, apparently both of them ran out the door to the street corners to preach Jesus. Because both of them were aggressive and active evangelists. Phoebe was a deacon in the church. And she was a missionary to sit to the church of Rome in order to take the, the, the book of Romans and read it to them and teach it to them. Epaphroditus was a deacon. And he was, according to Philippians chapter 2, an emissary from the church of Philippi to be a missionary to Paul and to his needs. So it seems like deacons have a particular responsibility to move out, to move out. And if that's at all unclear in the New Testament, it's extremely clear in the tradition of, church, of the church that deacons are meant to be apostolic ministers. They are to bridge the world into the, actually bridge the gospel. Let me say this. Bridge the church into the world. Help the church understand the world so that we know how to preach the gospel to the world. And to be sympathetic and compassionate to what's going on in the world around us. So we can all be remembered that we exist not unto ourselves. We exist for the glory of God and for the sake of the world. For the sake of others. That's our, that's our call. That's our call. So in the Diocese of Christ our hope, we're exploring and growing in our awareness of the importance of the doctrinal ministry. The health of the church, I think, is tied to the presence of deacons who know how to help us get out of ourselves and really break the gospel to the world. So, my brother, this is a happy day. It's a happy day for you, for us, for this church. And I'm grateful. But I want to remind you what I said. Yours is a defining calling. An embodiment calling. An exemplary calling. What should be true for us should be embodied in you. Maintain the vitality of your spiritual life. Be a humble servant at all times in all you do. 
be a disciple and a disciple maker and help all of us move into the world with gospel mission and compassion. Amen? Come on. Come on. All right. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the joy of it. And we pray, Father, that you'll continue to bless all of us as we meditate on these matters. And we pray, Father, uh, that we will pray for Andrew and sweep up Travis in our prayers. And, Lord, that we will remember these, our brothers and others in the future, sisters and brothers who may be raised up, to help us understand what it means to live the Christian life and be on mission at all times. So, Father, we pray for your favor for Andrew, your favor on all of us through him, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.